0: Chapter Twenty-Eight of The Ocean of Air: Meteorology for Beginners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Logan Lorenz. The Ocean of Air: Meteorology for Beginners by Agnes Jiburn. Electricity and Magnetism. The whole Earth is full of electricity. And the entire ocean of air is more or less overflowing with it. But for the perpetual presence and influence of this force, our atmosphere would be different indeed from what it is now. A chapter may well be given to explaining a little about electricity and the twin power magnetism. About six hundred years BC, somebody discovered that if a piece of amber were rubbed and were then held near small scraps of a light substance, it would attract the scraps, making them spring up and cling to itself. Before being rubbed, the amber did nothing of the kind. Jet was proved to possess the same power, and there discovery stopped. People were not in those days very keen after scientific knowledge, or they would hardly have waited through so many centuries following, through the days of early Christianity and through the dark ages till the time of Queen Elizabeth, before taking another step forward. Though only amber and jet were thus far known to possess this curious gift of attraction when rubbed, the characteristic was found to belong to a great many substances to sealing-wax for instance to glass diamond sapphire and gutta-percha any of these if excited by friction and warmth were seen to attract light bodies sometimes at a distance of several inches and some of them would shine in the dark such substances received the name of electrics at the beginning of the seventeenth century while the mysterious power at work was called electricity The word springs from electron, which is the Greek for amber. Nothing is easier than in a small way to try this attractive power for yourself. If you rub a stick of sealing wax well with silk or flannel or fur and hold the rubbed end near a little heap of very tiny paper cuttings, some of the latter will at once spring up and cling to the sealing wax. Electrified substances do not always attract other substances, Sometimes they repel or drive them away, for there are two kinds or forms of electricity, positive and negative. When a body is electrified, it is always in one of two different ways. Try another experiment. Hang a light, small ball of cork by a silk thread. Then rub a piece of sealing wax, and hold the rubbed or excited end near the ball. At first the ball will be attracted towards the sealing wax, but presently it will move away, being repelled the sealing wax and the cork ball are in the beginning differently electrified, one with positive, the other with negative electricity. Then they mutually draw together, or would do so if both were equally free to move. But when each is given over to the other some of its own electricity, the two become electrified alike. Therefore, each drives the other away, and they fly apart, or would do so if equally free. The ball alone being free alone moves. So if one body electrified with positive electricity comes near another body electrified with negative electricity, each attracts the other, and if free to move, they draw closer together. It seems as if the electricity of the one desired to flow into and mix itself with the electricity of the other. But when two bodies are near together, both electrified with positive or both with negative electricity, no such desire is shown. On the contrary, each seems anxious to get away from the other if electricity were a fluid like water we should say that it flowed from one substance to another in a struggle to keep its own level if electricity were a fluid like air we should say that it flowed to and fro in the struggle to keep its balance or equilibrium since it is neither those terms are perhaps hardly allowable yet there is in electricity as in the said fluids an incessant effort after something like balance after something like equality after a perfect adjustment and a fair distribution of itself everywhere although electricity cannot be considered a fluid it behaves in many respects very like a fluid it is indeed caused to appear or generated by rubbing which is not the case with any known fluid but generated does not necessarily mean made electricity seems to be in all bodies, hidden away, only not apparent to us, till its quiet is disturbed by friction or other causes. The manner in which it flows from one to another part of a substance, or from one body into another, is very like the action of a fluid. Again, there seem to be definite quantities of it everywhere. Electricity cannot spread and increase like flame. When some flows out of a body, less remains behind. Every time one substance rubs or even touches another, a flow of electricity takes place one way, if not both ways, though without exhibiting what is called electrical action. So the quantity present in any one body is always varying. But here we come upon a marked difference between different substances. Some do very easily show electrical action. You have seen how sealing wax, when rubbed, immediately attracts or repels and it is the same with all so-called electrics many substances such as gold and silver marble and pearl iron and indeed all metals may be held in the hand and rubbed to any extent without producing the same result in past days they used to be called non-electrics because it was supposed they could not be electrified now that term is dropped for when a non-electric such as silver is rubbed we know that electricity is generated just as fast as when an electric such as sealing-wax is rubbed the difference consists not in the amount of electricity but in the ease with which the metal conducts it away compared to the resistance offered by the sealing-wax so now we talk not of electrics and non-electrics but of good conductors and bad conductors iron is a good conductor and so is the human body If you hold a lump of iron in your hand and rub as hard as you will, you cannot make it attract or repel, for just so fast as the electricity is generated, it pours away into your hand, up your arm, and down your body into the ground. But suppose you fasten the lump of iron upon a glass support and do not touch it with your hand. Glass being a bad conductor, communication with the ground is thus cut off. If the iron now be rubbed, it will attract and repel like excited sealing wax. There is still, however, a difference between the iron and the sealing wax. When a stick of sealing wax is electrified by rubbing, all the electricity remains or seems to remain on the outside, just where it has been generated. It does not flow around and along the stick to other parts. When the iron is electrified, being cut off from the ground by a glass support, the electricity flows freely over its whole surface, though unable to get any farther. In both these cases, the store of electricity on the surface is spoken of as a charge, and the iron or sealing wax is said to be charged. If the stored of electricity passes away from either, it is then said to be discharged. But when the electric stream flows freely along a good conductor, as for instance along a wire, it is characterized as an electric current. Now water is a good conductor an electric wire laid under the ocean has to be carefully guarded from contact with the surrounding water or the electric message flashed from one country to another would all leak away into the ocean by the way dry air at least in the lower regions of the air ocean is a bad conductor if it were not so no good conductor could ever be electrified by being fastened upon a bad conductor because even though cut off from earth and other substances It would still be touched on all sides by air, and all its electricity would flow away into the atmosphere. Dry air acts in some degree like the glass support, and imprisons the electricity. Floating vapor in the air, however, helps to give right-of-way to electric currents, and prevents air from being a thoroughly bad conductor. In very damp weather, air becomes a much better conductor, and on such days, electrical experiments are apt to prove a failure because of the quick passing away of electricity into the vapor-laden air the damper air is the better it conducts on the other hand the denser air is the worse it conducts both these facts tell upon the lower layers of the air ocean which are alike more damp and more dense than high layers air may be said to act generally as an insulator or bad conductor but only to a certain extent if an excited stick of sealing wax or glass is left in the open air it gradually loses its little charge the store of electricity on its surface leaks away into the air faster or more slowly according to whether the atmosphere is damp or dry when two clouds draw near together one charged with positive and the other with negative electricity there is a strong attraction between the two in either cloud the electric stream flows converging towards one part that part of the cloud which lies nearest to the other cloud sometimes the state of the atmosphere will allow a quiet and gentle restoration of electrical balance if where the clouds lie the air is damp enough and not too dense a current may make its way from one cloud to the other without anybody on earth being aware of it but if the air is very dry it resolutely resists the passage of the current things go on getting worse and worse till at length they have to be righted notwithstanding all opposition if the electric current may not flow peacefully it will end by forcing its way fiercely then the culmination comes an enormous spark of electricity leaps from cloud to cloud with a crackling roar thunder as we hear it comes to us commonly softened in some degree by distance and lengthened out by rolling echoes sometimes when a storm takes place close overhead we hear for once the actual metallic crash unsoftened An electric spark caused to pass from point to point of an electric machine leaping through only an inch or two of space will make a noise by no means contemptible. No wonder the great lightning spark, rushing through miles of space, sometimes as much as eight or ten miles, should shake the very Earth with its peal. The sound is caused by the electric current forcing its way through the fiercely opposing air. In the struggle, it turns to and fro, following a zigzag path like a river it flows where it finds least resistance when an electric current passes through a resisting substance there is always great consequent heat the air under sudden and tremendous heat expands instantaneously to an enormous extent and contracts again as rapidly the moment the flash has gone by an immense rush and pressure of air particles are thus caused the crackling thunder crash is the fruit of the furious air resistance air expansion and air contraction footnote a discharge of electricity through a non-conductor such as a lightning spark passing through air is called a disruptive discharge such a discharge is usually accompanied by light heat noise etc End footnote. a lightning flash travels at the rate of about two hundred and ninety thousand miles in a second half as fast again as the speed of light lightning conductors are often placed near high buildings the object is to offer a safe and easy path to the electric current from the clouds into the earth safe as regards mankind easy as regards the lightning electricity will always take the easiest path which offers itself a conductor is made of metal which allows free flow to the current it ought to end in a damp layer of earth where the current can spread itself about harmlessly. One can hardly speak of lightning conductors without an allusion to Dr. Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania to whose experiments the world still owes much. He it was who, about 1750, first sent a kite aloft during a thunderstorm, rightly calculating that electricity from the charged clouds would pass down the string. A key was tied to the ladder within his reach, and when he touched the key with his knuckles, he drew from it a bright electric spark. Such experiments meant, and must always mean, no little danger to the experimenter. Franklin escaped unhurt, but others have been less fortunate. About the middle of the 18th century, a melancholy event took place. Professor Reckman of St. Petersburg had put up on his house an iron rod to collect the electricity of storms, and he had below an electrometer to measure the amount collected. One day, during a severe storm he was carefully watching the electrometer bending his head to about a foot distant from it when a loud peal of thunder sounded instantly a bluish ball of fire as large as a man's fist leaped from the iron rod to the professor's head with a report like that of a pistol reckman fell dead and his half-stunned companion was covered with red-hot bits of metal wire electricity and magnetism are commonly spoken of together they are in many respects alike yet the two are not the same the lodestone was known in early days as a magnet having a power of attracting to itself filings of iron or steel but its singular characteristic of always pointing north and south when so suspended as to have free movement was not found out till about the eleventh century if iron or steel are rubbed on a lodestone, they gain the same powers magnets to any extent can thus be manufactured Attraction and repulsion are connected no less with magnetism than with electricity. There seem to be two kinds of magnetism, or at least two kinds of magnetic poles. A magnet has always two poles, each different from the other. If a magnet is broken in half, each half at once has its two different poles. No one magnet has ever two poles of the same kind. The one pole attracts, what the other repels. The one points only north and the other points only south take a magnet and hold each pole of it in turn near the north-pointing end of the needle in a compass then do the same with the south-pointing end you will find that one pole of the magnet attracts while the other repels the north-pointing needle but with the south-pointing needle you will find the reverse it is attracted by that pole of the magnet which repelled the north-needle end and repelled by that pole which attracted the north-needle end in fact, the rule here is much the same as in electrical action and repulsion. Magnetic poles, when a in kind, repel one another. When unlike in kind, they attract one another. All this is very curious, very easy to see and test for ourselves, and very difficult to understand. There is a great deal in magnetism which nobody does understand as yet. One clue to further researches has been obtained of late years. This is... That the earth itself is a huge magnet with north and south magnetic poles not far from the north and south poles of geography. Probably the sun is another and most enormous magnet. It may be that a clue lies here for the future as to the real nature of the mighty force of gravitation. Iron is more easily magnetized by rubbing with a lodestone than steel, and as a natural consequence, it is also more easily demagnetized. As a writer says, it is harder to get the magnetism into steel than into iron, and it is harder to get the magnetism out of steel than out of iron, for the steel retains the magnetism once put into it. Just what one would expect. As we saw in the case of water and solid ground gaining and parting with heat, that which is most easily taken in is also most easily lost, and vice versa the attracting and repelling powers of a magnet will act through paper or wood through glass or brass through fire or water but not through a screen of iron or steel the iron and steel themselves attract the magnet so as to interfere with its powers over anything beyond them for a long while the fluid theory was used to explain magnetism the theory is now given up whatever magnetism may be a fluid it is not The term is still employed but merely as a convenience magnetism like electricity is held to be one of nature's forces not in any sense one of nature's substances side by side with the marked resemblances between these twin forces there are marked differences such for instance as the following when electricity passes from one body into another a certain amount of the fluid is gone and less remains behind but when a magnet is rubbed on a lump of iron Magnetism passes into the iron, and apparently just as much remains behind in the magnet as was there before. A bar of iron or steel may be magnetized through being touched or rubbed by a lodestone or a steel magnet. This, however, is not the only mode. If no lesser permanent magnets are at hand, the biggest magnet of all within reach, the earth itself, may be used. An iron bar placed upright for a long enough period gains magnetism out of the earth. Moreover, heating and cooling under certain conditions may have the same effect. A steel bar made red hot, then allowed to cool, while lying nearly north and south or in the magnetic meridian, is found to be magnetized. If it lie east and west, it is not magnetized. A more vigorous mode of magnetizing than any of the above is through a powerful current of electricity, borne continuously by spiral wires round iron or steel bars. Here again, we see the close connection of the twin forces, a stream of electricity being actually converted into, or at least the direct cause of, magnetism. This magnoelectric union has been carried out to a wonderful extent with marvelous results in the electric lighting machines of our days. Passing mention must be made of the Aurora Borealis, a glimpse of which is sometimes vouchsafed to us so far south as in England. Though it is in the icy regions of the north that the sight is seen in all its splendor. A certain observer belonging to a scientific expedition describes some of the wonderful and rapid changes noted in a single display. Rays of brilliant white shot over the firmament, lengthening, then dying out, to be followed by another spreading group of fan like rays. Then golden waving draperies seemed to float and fold one over another. An arc of deep red contrasted with a segment of black and a shining fan widened through the northern sky rising gently upward overhead its rays joined into the shape of a crown and from the crown sprang radiant jets of light and color blue and green yellow and red quivering streamers of every hue helped to turn the sky into a cupola of fire and presently the whole (laughs) faded quietly leaving only the stars twinkling in the dark night the light of a bright aurora is so clear that small print has been read by it the height of the aurora rays is believed to be from about thirty to over one hundred miles above earth's surface the aurora is probably in some measure due to or at least connected with electrical and magnetic forces it is certainly accompanied by magnetic disturbance a new theory has however lately sprung into existence to account more fully for the northern display higher levels of the air ocean are believed to be filled with interminable clouds of meteoric dust that is of the material of which meteorites are made floating as extremely fine dust these clouds of dust incessantly receive fresh additions as day by day millions of meteorites enter our atmosphere from the vast beyond and there must also be an incessant tendency of the dust to descend however slowly earthward if this be so one would expect to find traces of meteoric dust upon earth's surface or in the sea it is a remarkable and suggestive fact that in the challenger expedition dust grains or nodules were dredged up from the ocean bottom having every appearance of meteoric origin the searching test of the spectroscope showed this dust to be one in nature with the dust which enters our atmosphere from distant space and the same test applied to the light of the aurora Revealed that the spectrum of the aurora and the spectrum of the meteoric dust are practically the same. It is now therefore believed that the aurora display is, at least in a great measure, due to abundant supplies of this dust in upper air levels, ignited in particular circumstances by friction with the air and acted upon by electricity. How far the electricity is generated by the said friction is another question. End of chapter twenty eight.